Revelation chapter number 13, let's stand in honor of reading God's Word, beginning in verse number 11, Revelation 13 and verse number 11, and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon, and he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him. And causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword, and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. We'll stop there. Let's pray and ask that the Lord would bless this time together today. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the singing. Uh, Lord, uh, some really precious songs that we were able to sing as a congregation. And then thank you for that special that the Smoker family sang about the holiness of God. And Lord, we thank you for uh, your goodness and your grace. And we pray, Father, that you'd have your will and way in the service today. We ask for your help. Lord, we need your help desperately. We cannot do the work of God without you. We ask that you would work in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're speaking this morning on part two, how to recognize the Antichrist, and particularly this morning on the false prophet. Now, last week we saw point number one that the Antichrist is a composite of the Gentile kingdoms. We saw that clearly in Revelation 13, verse 1 through 10. We also took a look at some select passages in Daniel chapter number 7. If you weren't here or if you're not familiar, I would encourage you to read and study Revelation 13, Daniel chapter number 7, and see the comparisons and the similarities. Now, these kingdoms that the Antichrist is composite of are certainly part of him, and yet he is a man. He gets his power and authority and seat from the dragon, which is Satan. Satan has power over the kingdoms of this world, and from these kingdoms he gets glory for himself. Consider what he said to Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse number 5, And the devil, taking him up into an high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. God gave this power unto Satan, the dragon, and Satan gives it to whomsoever he will. If you study the history of the Gentile kingdoms, you will find that certain kingdoms had so much power that it was obviously supernatural. Now, I believe that in our lifetime, we have seen some very supernatural things happen here in our nation. I mean, you look at 
You look at the previous administration, three years of prosperity, three years of peace, three years of many good and righteous and common sense decisions being made. And I I personally, I thought, well, this is a shoe-in for a second term. And then COVID hit. You say, do you think that Satan, the dragon, had something to do with COVID? I don't doubt it for a minute. We saw so many things take place during the pandemic that were in preparing a, a culture, the entire globe, to fall into the deception of the Antichrist that we don't even have time to name those. Perhaps we'll refer to some of those in next week's lesson. Satan has those powers. How could Adolf Hitler have the power that he had to destroy millions of Jews? Well, he incorporated the power of the dragon. And I could go on and on, and we see that whoever Satan chooses to give this power and glory to, we see the supernatural result of it. Now, Satan is not satisfied with power and glory. We know that. He wants to be worshipped. He wants to be God. He said in Isaiah 7, verse 14, I will ascend. I will be like the Most High God. And of course, God said nothing doing. He cast him out. When Satan fell, the Lord did something that was a particular offense to Satan, to Lucifer. What did he do? He made man in his own image. He made man a little lower than the angels, but nevertheless higher in position than the principalities. Adam was created and placed in the garden, and Adam was made the monarch of the creation. He told Adam, I'm giving you dominion over all of this. Adam was made in the image of God, and Lucifer hated that. In Psalm 8, verse number 4, it says, what is man? Now, this is a, this is a passage of scripture. Hebrews quotes it, and it has a dual meaning. In, in one sense, it's speaking of the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's also speaking of man in general. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the Son of Man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Listen, the spirit of Antichrist tries to create this atmosphere that man is here for the earth, but God created that the earth is here for the man. This environmentalism that we've gotten so used to. You think about the nonsense of the environmentalist movement. You talk about the power over the kingdoms of the world and power over economy and power over policy, all over things that nothing has been proven by science. Hey, if you want to get your agenda listened to in Washington, D.C., just talk about the ozone layer. Talk about global warming. Oh, they fail to mention that there are sunbursts, that maybe something goes on on the sun and we don't feel the effects of for a year and a half or two years later. Now, science knows all of that. 
Science will tell you that there's been all kinds of climate change. They say that there's been an ice age. And that had nothing to do with the ozone layer or the carbon footprint of man. So they lie. Why? Because this is the spirit of Antichrist. It's all connected. But man is, you know, you know, the Bible refers to Christ as the last Adam. Because Christ is coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Adam came as a monarch, King of the earth, so to speak. And his descendants, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? It was God's plan that man would have dominion over the entire earth. And that's still, that's still a fact. But Satan has been given the kingdoms of this world and he will not be happy until he is worshipped as he desires. Now that brings us to point number two. We read about it in our opening text that the Antichrist is going to have a false prophet. We see here that there is a satanic trinity. We know that God is a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Everything about God, Satan can't be like God, but he is an imitator. He's a counterfeit. And so he counterfeits everything that God did with his son, Jesus Christ. Satan has a counterfeit, and we have a satanic trinity. We have the dragon, that would be Satan, a type of God the Father. We have the first beast, who is the Antichrist. That is a type or of uh, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have this second beast, also referred to later on in the book of Revelation, as the false prophet. And he is a type of the Holy Spirit. He is the religious, spiritual miracle worker that is doing everything he can to cause men to worship the beast and the image of the beast. And that's a counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's primary objective, especially in this day and age, is to point people toward Jesus Christ. Not to draw attention to himself, but to draw attention to Jesus Christ. If you're ever in a so-called Christian church that they're putting all of the focus on the Holy Ghost, then you're in a church that's not biblical because the Holy Ghost is never seeking attention on himself. He's always putting attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we read here that the Antichrist, we saw it last week, that he comes up out of the sea. But the false prophet, we read here, that he comes up out of the earth. Now, this is very significant. I just don't know why. I don't have an absolute answer to that. I just know that God didn't say it without a reason. Maybe one of these days I'll figure out something or I'll read something that makes sense that I'd be willing to preach and teach, but in the meantime, I don't have an answer. I just know that it's significant. Now, in verse number 11, if you'll look at it once once again, it says that this false prophet, this other beast, comes up out of the earth. He has two horns like a lamb, 
and he speaks like a dragon. Historically, dragon speak is known for its mesmerizing spell-casting power. You know what? I don't believe that human dra- that earthly dragons are all mythological. I-, I think that there's probably some of those dinosaur fossils that. And, and by the way, finding a couple bones in a rib cage. How does Discovery Channel and National Ge- Geographic Channel? How do they create all of this animated? stuff that tells you all of their hunting techniques, their mating rituals, the color of their skin, they they have none of that. They found a few bones that were in pretty rough shape, and they put it together, and they present all of these things as if they know. They don't know all of that. Now, you study human history and you find that these, this dragon is so consistent among different cultures. You find that Job talked about Leviathan and Behemoth. And Job, I believe, predates the Old Testament. And so it goes way back there to where we don't have a good, you know, the fossil record that we have is pretty vague if you get past even a couple thousand years BC. You go beyond that. You find that there was a flood, and it, I mean, it demolished the whole earth, the cave, the, the crust of the earth all caved in, and so we have a very limited fossil record. But I believe personally that all of the dinosaurs and all of that, it's not from a million years ago. It's from before the flood in Noah's day. I believe that with all of my heart. And I think there's a lot of proof toward that. But back to our text here, this false prophet is going to look like a lamb. He's not going to be a political leader. He's going to be a religious leader. And he's going to speak like a dragon. He's going to be mesmerizing, spellbounding. He's going to be really, really good. He's going to sound... You know, the Bible says that even Satan's ministers, Satan does have ministers, and they are transformed as the ministers of righteousness. Why? Because Satan appears as an angel of light. You need to be really careful about people who sound so wonderful, but they're not giving you the truth of God's Word. You need to be real careful about so-called ministers who tell you what you want to hear, And they won't tell you anything that'll make them look bad. You find every man of God in the Bible would say things eventually that made somebody mad. That went against the grain of what everybody else was thinking and saying and doing. That's what God's men have always done. And I I hope you're not here during this time period. I hope you're born again. But if you find yourself in this time period then just please remember the things that the Word of God has told you here this morning. Now, verse number 12, once again, we're going to see that his sole agenda in all he does is to cause people of the earth to worship the Antichrist. He exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him. That's he's, I mean, that's that smooth-talking, powerful, you know, his words 
are amazing, and he causeth the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. This mention of a deadly wound healed at the end of this verse is likely, and I believe this goes in connection with other passages that talk about this false prophet, that it is likely that this false prophet was the healer that healed the deadly wound of the Antichrist. And I believe that this healing power is genuine and likely not just an illusion. Now, the devil, once again, is an imitator, and you got to be careful with deception and illusion. And some of of the devil's ministers will use illusion tactics, magic, if you will. But I believe that there is a supernatural power that Satan gives. Uh, I, I believe that, for instance... I think that there are probably, there are probably some actual healing done by and in the occult. Now, not for the purpose of the good of man and certainly not for the glory of God, but there are some strange things that go on in the spirit world and in the occult world and so forth. Faith healers are something that has come prominent here in the last century. Something that you didn't hear about until you go back to the times of the apostles. Yes, the apostles had some healing powers. It was granted to the apostles. It was a sign of regeneration, if you will, according to Mark 16, that those that believe would have these supernatural signs. They could drink a deadly poison. They could, uh, they could deal with serpent bites and so forth. All of those were signs, but the Bible says that signs were for the Jews. But the Greeks seek after wisdom. Paul had the power to heal, but by the end of his life, he said, Trophimus have I left in Miletum sick. He didn't have that power later on in his ministry. And I, I believe personally it's because at that point, somewhere before then, that God had stopped making a legitimate offer of the kingdom to Israel. Israel rejected it. God, in his long-suffering and patience, he sent Peter, he sent all the apostles, he sent the apostle Paul. Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles, but he did a lot of ministry to the Jews. By the end of the book of Acts, Paul said, I'm done with the Jews. I'm going strictly to the Gentiles. Somewhere along the line there, that offer of the kingdom, Stephen was still preaching kingdom. Peter was in Acts chapter number 2 and verse 38. Somewhere in there, God said, I'm done with that. I'm moving on. Modern faith healers. I'm just going to say it right up front. They're charlatans and they're fake. I've yet to see one that is not a charlatan or a fake. Listen, if they were real, number one, they would walk among the people as Jesus did. They wouldn't hide behind hotlines and special meetings. Special meetings with offerings, that is. Let me tell you, they'd walk among the people. If you had the gift of healing like they claim to have, you wouldn't need to take up an offering. 
You just walk among the people and you're eventually going to heal somebody that's going to say, hey, I want to, I want to help you. And you're, you're going to, you'd have plenty of offerings without taking one up. If faith healers were, were real, number two, their healing would not be vague or inconspicuous. Why is it that modern faith healers, they are masters at healing your diabetes, your kidney stones, even brain tumors, brain tumors that you didn't know you had, but they'll bop you in the head or blow their breath on you and say, you don't have that tumor anymore. Oh, praise the Lord. They didn't know they had it to begin with. Acts 4, verse, oh, by the way, you don't see very many compound leg fractures being healed. You know, like where the shin bone's sticking out, you know, limp to the meeting, all of a sudden now it's totally healed. No scar, no nothing. Nobody's ever seen that. Do you think that the apostles could do that? Absolutely. That'd be no problem whatsoever. Acts 4, 16 saying, what shall we do to these men for that indeed a notable miracle, that's the key operative word here, a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. Listen, the apostles would come by and the shadow would pass by and somebody that had never walked before, they're restored. That's what true faith healers do. Number three, in my last point here, they would take responsibility for their failure. They wouldn't say, sorry, you didn't have the faith to be healed. Nowhere do you find that Jesus or the disciples, they would, they would heal people and nothing would be said about there. It was the faith of the healer that did the healing. Some are not fake, and some do have some supernatural powers to heal. We read about this false prophet that does, but what we need to remember is that not all are of God. God still heals, and He still answers prayers. need to remember that. Don't let these charlatan faith healers rob you of the Bible truth that God is still in the healing business. We're not living in the time of miracles and the times of signs and wonders. We have the Word of God, and the Bible says faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. We've got something better. Everything that God does for us is miraculous. Wouldn't you agree? But everything He does for you is not classified as a miracle. You know, I, I get amazed sometimes. Somebody goes, they get diagnosed and, hey, I got a, I got a brain tumor that's 10 centimeters, um, diameter. And so I prayed. And the next time that I had my scan, the Lord shrunk it to two centimeters. It's a miracle. I, I get it. Whatever God, if God, God probably did that. And that is miraculous. But it doesn't classify as a miracle. If it was a miracle of healing, it wouldn't be two centimeters. It'd be no centimeters. It'd be complete. And so thank God. What I'm trying to say is I'm trying to get you to see the truth here that God heals. And he will do it through prayer. 
hold your place here and look at James chapter number five. James chapter number five. I, I think we've let we've let the charlatans and the the fake people take away some important truths from us. Now sometimes we we don't understand what God does and how He does it. But it says right here clearly in James chapter 5 and verse number 14, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, let me comment on that. I, I, I have no problem if somebody wants to be anointed with oil, literal, like olive oil, There's that's not a problem. But I want to make sure that you understand that the anointing of the oil is symbolic. It's not magical. It's not the oil that does anything. It's just a sim- it's symbolic. The things that are important here is not the oil, but notice it says here that anointing. Let me let me find it here. Um, anointing. Him with oil in the name of, it's, it, it's emphasizing, let them pray over him, comma. And so it's the prayer that does the work. Look at it in verse 15. It says, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We have some important truths here that, I mean, make the idea of olive oil poured on the head so insignificant. We've got confessing your faults, being open, transparent, getting right with God. You know what? I Don't let anybody convince you that if you're sick or if you have a health crisis, that that means you're not right with God. There's plenty of health crises that are right in the center of God's will. The Apostle Paul had many health crises, and he was in the center of God's will. So don't let him convince you otherwise. Having said that, there are health crises that are the result of being in a backslidden condition, if you want to call it that. And so when these things happen, the first thing that we need to do is we need to get right with God, and then we need to pray. We need to incorporate the prayer of the elders, the leaders of the church. We've got some leaders here at Temple Baptist Church that walk with God and pray. We ought to be, we ought to be willing to say, hey, I, I want this special attention of prayer, and you know what? God may heal you. I, there's no promise that he will. But there is some processes here that God says, this is what you need to do. Don't send money to these charlatan fake faith healers. Don't trust in a man to do the healing. Trust in God because God is still in the healing business. Now I want to get back to our text here. And I want you to look back in Revelation 13, and I want you to look at verse number 13. It says, And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. These great wonders are not for entertainment. It seems like people want religion, they want church to be entertaining. 
This false prophet, he's calling fire down from heaven. This is not a fireworks display, although I will say for some man to say, hey, fire come down from heaven, that would be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? That'd be something out of one of these superhero Marvel comics kind of things. That's what people are wanting. But this false prophet is not doing it for entertainment value. He is doing it rather for deception. Most people today reject the Bible and faith. They want proof. They want proof. We talked about it about a month ago. How that so many people challenge God. If God were real, why does he allow all of this bad stuff to happen? God, if you're real, prove yourself to me. You know what? God is not interested in proving himself to a anyone that's challenging him and shaking their fist and saying, well, I'll, God is God. He's the creator. And the Bible says clearly that if you're going to come to God, you're going to have to come to him by faith. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Why did God set up, why did he set it up that way? For his glory, for his honor, for his integrity. Why would someone who has never told a lie and never failed in any, why would somebody that's holy and righteous and perfect create man and give him free will and then say, well, I'm going to have to spend the rest of this man's life proving myself to him? That's just not God. God's not insecure as to whether you... Listen, if we don't believe in Him, it doesn't affect Him at all. He's perfectly fine. He's holy. He was fine before He ever created man. He'll be fine when man... Whatever happens to your life and my life, God is going to be just fine. But people want proof. And you know what they're going to get? They're going to get what they want. This false prophet's going to show up and he's going to give man the proof that he is demanding and it's going to deceive the entire world with a handful of exceptions. Verse number 14, we see that he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles that he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Ultimately, this false prophet, this religious leader is going to make an image of the beast. We see this connection in Daniel chapter number three. I want you to look at this and we've been trying to demonstrate that the mystery of iniquity, the spirit of antichrist has been working over time in recent years. So many things about this world and uh, our nation our culture, and even the religious climate, particularly in America, has changed drastically in the last 50 to 100 years. I guarantee you, you take 1,900 years of church history, any of those saints that's in glory, if they came back and saw what Christianity was in America today, they wouldn't, they wouldn't know what to do. They wouldn't recognize it. Daniel 3, verse number 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king, type of the Antichrist, made an image of gold 
whose height was, get this, three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. That's 66. There's another six in there somewhere, no doubt about it. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Babylon is very important. We find this coming to prominence once again in the book of Revelation in the tribulation period. You know, even the Roman Catholic Church teaches that Babylon was moved to Rome, but they say it was pagan Rome. See, they don't believe, they don't, they're not teaching the connection between pagan Rome and religious Rome. But people with the Spirit of God that believe the Word of God certainly can see the parallels. There's just too much there. But notice in Daniel 3, verse number 5, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fire, fiery furnace. Has there ever been a time... In church history, when music was more important and prominent in worship than it is today? I'm not saying that it's not a valuable tool. It is. I enjoyed the music, the music uh, that we heard today, that special that the Smoker family sang. It, it, it moved my heart toward worship. Brother Stair talked about different hymns. Some are hymns of praise. Some are hymns of worship. Some are hymns of invitation. Every uh, Christian music, the right kind of music, has a different purpose. And the Bible says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What we see in church today, do we find any, I mean, even one example of it in the New Testament church? says they sang a hymn. Congregational singing, that's definitely in the New Testament. But do we find how we have a church service where you go into the average Christian church today? Good churches, mind you. And you have 45 minutes of special music over and over and over, and they call that the worship time? That's not biblical. So what are you saying, preacher? You're saying that that's the spirit of the Antichrist? I'm saying that it's preparing. It's preparing even Christians that, hey, music is the tool that puts me into worship. You don't find that example. You find that the Word of God, that preaching and teaching are emphasized. That's what's taught. Bible doctrine, but in the average Christian church today, you don't get Bible doctrine. You get very little, but you get a lot of music. We ought to be wise enough to say, hey, something is a little bit fishy here. Now, this image that's created, Satan's agenda is not simply to get you to sin. A lot of times we very self-centeredly, we think that that's all that Satan cares about is to try to provoke me to sin. I got really, really bad news for you. You don't need Satan to cause you to sin. 
James chapter number one says that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. Uh, The devil did not make you do it. You sin because you're a sinner. You can't blame him. Now, he might be creating an atmosphere and he may be setting traps of temptation just like he did for the on the Lord Jesus Christ. And yeah, he wants you to sin because he hates you. Why does he hate you and I? Because we are made in the image of God. Listen, if you've ever had, if you've ever had a real enemy, don't you know that every person, every family member that lost a loved one in the Twin Towers on 9-11, don't you know that every single one of them, when they would walk down the streets of New York and see someone that was dressed like a Muslim, don't you think that it invoked a feeling whether just or unjust, it invoked a feeling because that image that they saw reminded them of something else. When Satan looks at you and I, you know what he does? He sees that we were created in his image and God gave us what he took away from him. Satan getting you to sin is just merely one of his tools. His desire is to destroy the image of God in man. What is that image of God? It's how we think, how we feel, how we behave, and yes, how we look. It's important. This is the root of all of this woke nonsense, all this LGBTQ stuff. The fact of the matter is, is God, you know, we see all around us, God created a man who wants to act and look like a woman and vice versa. We have high school students who would rather identify as a cat than a human being. We have people who distort their physical appearance through ink and piercings. I've seen people that do something to their earlobes that reminds me of something that you see in an alien movie, you say, that's not nice of you, preacher. Listen, I'm just simply saying there's a reason why all of these things all at once in one generation are all cropping up all over the place. Inking's not the same that it used to be. I mean, you, you look at some people and it totally creates a different image. It's not a decoration anymore. It's creating a different image. Why is that so important? I'm not saying that everybody... Listen, I know that some of it is innocent and some of it is just, you know, it's just doing what everybody else is doing. I get it. But the spirit of the age that has created this desire and this appetite appetite for it It is the spirit of Antichrist. Anything to make you and I look like something different than the way that God made us. That's what Satan's agenda is. In addition to that, we got science today that is pre-engineering human DNA. 
You know, that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter number 6, when the sons of God saw the daughters of man, they cohabitated with them. What was the result? It was a super DNA-charged culture, men of renown. There were giants in the land of those in those days. You talk about physical superpowers. You talk about intelligence and IQ. That was the result of these fallen angels cohabiting with the daughters of men. And that's what God was saying when he said Noah was perfect in his generations. That's why God destroyed all of that. And that's why he said that all of those angels that sinned and went out after human flesh, they've been reserved in chains of darkness. Now we're not seeing that today. I don't believe that we would see that again. The flood took care of that. But I tell you what. The devil's not just going to say, oh, okay, God said no. He's going to find a way around to accomplish his agenda, anything to destroy man from being in the image of God. He wants something in his image, and he can only do it through something like this. Number Verse number 15, it says here that, He had power to give life unto the image of the beast. The false prophet will give life to the image, kind of like Janus and Jambres. Those were the Egyptian magicians that withstood Moses. Moses was able to cast his his rod down, the stick down, and it became a serpent. And it says that Janus and Jambres, those Egyptian magicians, they were able to do the same thing, take an inanimate object and turn it into a animate object, that will be either miraculous, there's a possibility we could see, uh, you know, here's the thing, we all know this, the phenomenal rise of paranormal sightings and supernatural infatuation today, you know, even the U.S. military is saying that they're seeing and taking pictures of UFOs. They're gone, and, and you know, they're, they're, they, there's no tangible evidence. I think there's things that people are seeing. They know they saw it, and they can't find proof, and I believe that it's because they're not of this world. They can manifest themselves physically, but they're not of this world. I feel certain that Somehow, artificial intelligence is connected to all of this, but I don't know how. This false prophet will be responsible for putting to death all that will not conform. Everybody's worshiping this image. Everybody's worshiping the beast. But anyone who does not conform, what happens to them? They're dead. They're killed. This is nothing new for mainstream religion. In the last 2,000 years, you take any religion that has gotten a geographical stronghold and you read Fox's Book of Martyrs and you find that many people who believe like us were brutally murdered and persecuted by the Roman Catholic Church. You find that Islam has persecuted people that believe like us and killed them and martyred them. And even Protestants, even Protestants have persecuted and 
killed those who are Anabaptists who, listen, I, I, I believe that infant baptism is a bunch of nonsense. It's not in the Bible. It's a man-made doctrine. So if somebody gets saved later on, they were baptized as an infant. You know what that infant baptism did for that baby? It just got them a little wet. That's it. So I believe, according to the Scripture, you need to be baptized the right way after you're saved. There were Protestant brethren, if you will, that would, when they had power in a certain geographical area, they would persecute you for believing like we do. It's nothing new. Notice how the wokeness today is so one-sided. Those who oppose... You oppose wokeism, you're destroyed. I'm sure some of you have heard recently, there's a, and I don't know this, I can't even tell you who this is, I don't know anything about the song, I just read the headline, this country artist that stirred up all this controversy and has been attacked by the woke crowd for some of the lyrics of his song, and yet the lyrics of this man's song were nothing compared to all of the rap songs that talk about murder and horrible things and racist things and all of this stuff. Nobody got worked up about that. But when somebody, some country artist that the conservative Christians are all agreeing with, guess what? They're speaking out against it. All of a sudden, it's not artistic expression anymore. It's bigoted racism, right? Have you ever thought about that, how one-sided this wokeism is? They don't believe in freedom. They believe in their agenda, and if you don't conform, you'll be destroyed. Whatever they have power to do to you, whether it be to hurt you financially, to get you fired, to take your business down... They are going to do it. Is that the Antichrist? Is that the false prophet? No, but it's certainly the spirit that is preparing this world for all of this. So in conclusion, I say this. Oppression is here and persecution is coming. I'll say it again. Oppression is here as we speak, but persecution is coming. This mindset of pragmatism that has filled churches today, what, what do I mean by that? Well, as long as it produces results, then it's okay. That's pragmatism. So we can compromise, we can water down the message, we can turn it into a rock concert. As long as it has some good positive effects, we're going to do that. And so that pragmatism has infiltrated the mindset of the average Christian And the devil's going to play on that pragmatic mindset. And when the false prophet and the Antichrist show up and they're seeing results, they're seeing that, hey, everybody, all of the mainstream religions, all of the mainstream countries, everybody's following the beast and they're going to be professing Christians that are going to go, wow, it's here. This is what we've been waiting for. And they're going to be deceived because their authority is not the Word of God. Their authority is pragmatism. Uh, If it's got a good result, then it must be a good thing. He's going to speak so eloquently. 
He feeds the hungry. He heals people. How can this many people be wrong? Well, I remind you what our Savior said in Matthew 7, verse number 13. He said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate that and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Folks, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. Following Jesus is not going to make your life perfect. It's not going to solve all of your problems. But I tell you what it will do. You know, we talked about healing. You know, if you pray and ask God, if you're saved and born again, healing is in the atonement. It's just not in this life. Because we're going to get a brand new body. And we're going to be in a brand new place. Everything is going to be perfect and wonderful in God's time. But the way to get there is through Jesus Christ. And so let's be wise to all of the deceptive spirits that are around us. If we read the Word of God, we can recognize those things. It doesn't take a whole lot of discernment. It doesn't take a whole lot of the Spirit of God. We can see what's going on in the world around us and go, hmm, there he is. There's the serpent. There's the, yea, hath God said, There's the question marks. Everything is pointing toward glorifying him. And God is going to cast him into a lake of fire one day. Jesus is the way. I hope that you're following him.